Welcome to Security Talks Weekly, the audio show that explores the intersections between cybersecurity, digitalization, and education. I'm your host, Alexandre Maral, and this podcast is brought to you by the Swiss Cyber Institute, the human-centric cybersecurity education center and digital community in Switzerland. In this episode, we're going to talk about ransomware in the healthcare sector. According to an IBM security report published in February, cyber attacks on healthcare more than doubled in 2020, with ransomware accounting for 28% of all attacks. The effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in particular have put a global importance in the sector. Since hospitals deal with so much time-sensitive information that directly impacts their patients' treatment and well-being, they are in an especially vulnerable position when it comes to ransomware. And that's why it's so important we address this issue. To discuss more about it, I'm going to talk to Teodora Dragan, a data protection officer working for the Cyber Peace Institute, a Switzerland-based NGO dedicated to enhancing peace and stability in cyberspace. Thank you so much for being here, Teodora. Excited to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. And hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. So, Theodora, it has never been so important to talk about cyber attacks against the healthcare industry. I imagine you must have had your hands full with work in these past few months. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately, it is an issue that is really surrounding us. And we are seeing more and more ransomware attacks, specifically when it comes to cyber attacks in healthcare. These attacks more than doubled in 2020, with ransomware accounting for 20% of all the attacks. So during the COVID-19 response efforts, the personal protective equipment suppliers and vaccine supply chain were targeted as part of ransomware attacks. And the problem really is that at the heart of this phenomenon, there is a misalignment of economic and policy incentives that really allows criminals to operate successfully and with impunity, so with near um, zero accountability. And what we are trying to do at the Cyber Peace Institute is to advocate for more accountability in cyberspace and to ensure that we work together to reduce the harms from cyber attacks on people's lives worldwide and to provide assistance to vulnerable communities and at the same time call for responsible cyber behavior and accountability. That's certainly something even more important going forward. And by the way, I was reading the latest report the Cyber Peace Institute released this year called Playing with lives, cyber attacks on healthcare are attacks on people. And I have to say, it's a fascinating read. It gives an incredible overview of the cyber crimes that happen in the healthcare industry. And the raw number of attacks on hospitals has increased a lot alongside with the pandemic. Yes, indeed. So what we have noticed is that when we were preparing our first strategic analysis report, We realized that normally when we talk about cyber attacks, there's a lot of information around how much that cyber attack cost, what was the financial cost of the attack, what the company had to pay in order to restore its data. But actually, when it comes to the healthcare sector, there is an element of direct harm, which is also a cost. And it's very difficult to actually assess that human cost. So the constant cyber attacks that some hospitals or healthcare organizations are facing result in delays and operational issues that can trickle down to the actual patients. 
There was um, one incident in Dusseldorf in September of last year, for example, when due to a cyber attack, the hospital had to turn away some patients. And unfortunately, one of those patients that was turned away from the emergency room had to go to a different hospital that was further away and she couldn't receive assistance in time. So she didn't make it. It was not just a cyber attack, but still that cyber attack played a part in this person not receiving care in time. When it comes to the impact of cyber attacks in the healthcare sector, indeed, our report contains a lot of statistics and a lot of useful information that can really help show the cost at a global level, let's say, the cost of cyber attacks on human lives, not just financially, but again, also on personal harm. When we fight against cyber attacks in the healthcare sector or in critical sectors, we have to think of more than just the financial impact. And I think, unfortunately, until recently, we haven't had enough data to look at this. So what we're trying to do is to bring more data and to bring the human perspective into the analysis of cyber attacks, not just how many attacks there are or how expensive they are, but also what is the impact on people's lives. So we're hoping that by doing that, We are giving information to the relevant players, whether it's governments, whether it's industry players, to really take action and to contribute to improving the security of IT systems in the healthcare sector. Absolutely. As you said, at the end of the day, we're talking about human lives. That's the most important thing we're all realizing. But Theodora, when we talk about hospitals and the healthcare system as a whole, They deal with so much time-sensitive information that directly impacts their patients. Are they in an especially vulnerable position when it comes to ransomware attacks? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's a very easy target for a number of reasons. First of all, it's what we call a low-cost, high-reward crime, especially because of the urgency of having to fix the issue. Whereas when cyber criminals attack, let's say, a private company, that private company could undergo a few days of trying to figure it out, whether they can restore the data from one of the backups that they have or figuring out how they can fix it without having to pay the ransom. So they have a bit more time, whereas hospitals are in the situation that they have to figure it out very quickly. And this is something that cyber criminals use time and time again. Even when we think of smaller cyber crimes, like the ones committed using phishing, there's always this need for urgency, making you think that you have to pay now or you have to log in now or risk to lose your account. So this urgency is really exploited. And we see that happening a lot in the healthcare sector, indeed. I think it's also about whether the hospital has enough incentives to consider anything else apart from the patient's well-being. When you are in that situation and you're considering whether to pay the ransom or not, you are considering human lives. So you're not just considering whether you want to save your data or you want to have your customer data restored. You're considering how fast you can be active again with your system so that you can continue saving human lives. So obviously, it's something that is very tricky. It is those that are affected by ransomware attacks that must make this decision, and each context is different, and must take into account all the known factors, including the legal factors. So one feedback that we've had was from a CEO of Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center, who actually said the quickest and most efficient way to restore the systems was by paying a ransom of $17,000. That was one situation. A study on ransomware attacks showed that 16% of the targeted organizations disclosed paying the ransom. That's even a small number because it could be that even more organizations are paying these ransoms without actually admitting because of the reputational factor. 
On the other hand, there seem to be also some micro incentives that favor the payment of ransoms. So, for example, the fact that in one case, there was the colonial pipeline ransomware attack and a payment of about $4 million was tax deductible. And a lot of people were surprised to learn that you can simply write it off and say this is a necessary and reasonable expense and you can deduct it from your taxes. It's not clear for governments and it's not clear for uh for society, how to deal with these attacks, because it's hard to put all the burden on one single actor to make a decision that is actually the best decision for everyone involved. At the same time, ransomware attacks are not without victims. So by paying the ransom, you are actually contributing to furthering this crime and furthering these networks. And there were also situations where even paying the ransom did not result in the person who paid the ransom having the key back. Yeah, and I was going to ask you exactly that. At the end of the day, paying the ransom is more than a security dilemma. It's an ethical dilemma. And it's tricky because there are no right or wrong choices for every situation. But of course, it would be much better to protect ourselves and prevent the ransomware attacks from ever taking place. I was looking through some numbers from your report, and this one was specifically astonishing. So research found that hospitals that had been breached over the next two, three years after the breach, saw an increase in the 30-day mortality rate for their patients. And that's really concerning because it's not only about the people who are in need of medical care at a certain point, but also over the course of years. Yes. So ransomware attacks and cyber attacks can have a lasting impact, unfortunately. And that can depend on a number of factors. It can depend on, let's say, the financial factor, the fact that you have spent quite a lot of your budget on paying a ransom that maybe could have been avoided. The fact that systems that have been breached may not be restored again to the same level or data may be lost even during restoring those systems. Like I was saying, it's not a victimless attack. And the use of ransomware is actually extortion. Using the threats of harming people to get money. And if we look at ransomware, it's unfortunately quite a profitable business. I'm living in Geneva and working in Geneva. And recently there was a summit where President Biden met with Vladimir Putin to discuss a number of issues. And cybersecurity was actually at the top of the agenda. So trying to make sure that the attacks that are carried out of Russia that these attackers are not given impunity, that they are actually held accountable. So there are diplomatic talks going on at that level, but it's not yet clear what will happen in practice, if those talks will have any practical consequence in terms of how many attacks we are seeing, or if the number will decline. Basically, what we need to do as a society is to make sure that we make the industry of cyber attacks less profitable for attackers. But unfortunately, at the moment, it's way too easy for people to conduct cyber attacks and to just get away with it. It would be great if we actually all did that. But how can we solve the ransomware problem? As you said, overall, we need to demonetize the profitability of ransomware attacks. To me, really, it goes back into how much we rely on data and on the digital space nowadays to conduct basically our entire lives. And especially since the pandemic, it's unthinkable, even to the regular person, how they would continue life, let's say, if their entire systems, their phone, their computer was inaccessible for one week. So we rely so much on systems. And at the same time, there's this 
let's say this inherent belief that somebody else, hopefully out there, is making everything secure. But this is not the case. And I really think, and this is something that I'm very passionate about, I really think that it's time for all of us to take this responsibility and make it more than just something that you have to do for work and really kind of understand what cybersecurity means and how we can, each one of us, how we can play our parts in making the cyber world more secure, in being more vigilant, in being more, just more responsible when it comes to how we use our data, how we share data, what measures we take to protect ourselves, because those measures ultimately can protect others too. Whether we're talking about healthcare sector or any work environment or even just our personal lives. I imagine it's crucial to make the people who are in charge of funding the organizations aware of the importance of security as well. Could you share with us some recommendations? When we think of fixing the problem, usually step one is really to acknowledge that there is a problem. Part of what we're trying to do is to show that there is a problem to show the size and the scope and the nature of the problems. Having in the healthcare sector specifically, but not just there, underfunded cybersecurity teams, underfunded programs, and not having cybersecurity as one of our priorities. Unfortunately, we still see a lot of organizations that just don't prioritize investments in cybersecurity because they just don't think it's going to happen to them. Maybe they don't think they're big enough or important enough to be a victim. And because whenever there is a large organization hit by a data breach, like eBay, like EasyJet or British Airways, we find out about those breaches because they naturally affect a lot of people and it's newsworthy. But we don't find out about the small ransomware attack, you know, maybe the local dentist or even the bakery or even, you know, the smaller players within an industry. And there's this tendency to think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. So step one is to really... understand that, yes, it could happen to you. It could happen to anyone. And step two is to report the cyber attacks in accordance with the laws around the world and to know, depending on the country where you're based, where you should report this. Currently, there is also a fear of facing liabilities or reputational loss and a lack of faith in how the reports will be handled. So sometimes organizations just don't take the time or they find it too tedious and not rewarding in any way that they take this time to do the reporting, but actually reporting can help because it can help us understand where the problems are and it can help the industry understand how to build better products that don't have those vulnerabilities that were exploited in a certain attack. And step three is to really implement best practices and cybersecurity hygiene measures such as patching vulnerabilities, updating systems. And here we do need to rely also on the industry actors that develop products. Then along the supply chain, we're in a better position. Ultimately, it does come down to a financial problem as well, because to have a good cybersecurity program, you need to, have, you need to make an investment. When working with NGOs, for example, we at the Cyber Peace Institute, and we noticed that many don't have an acceptable level of cybersecurity because the donors and supporters expect their donation to go 100% to the supported cause, but they don't want to give funding to allow that NGO to invest in a cybersecurity program. So it ends up being something that is like the hot potato that everyone kind of thinks it's important and they want to do it, but somehow they can't find the funding. And in the meantime, it's more important to do something else because that's more visible or more pressing in that moment. So it's also part of the problem, but hopefully part of the solution too is finding the funding and actually 
finding maybe creative ways to explain that, to explain why you need this funding for cybersecurity, what could happen if you don't get this funding, what kind of data or what kind of responsibility that specific organization has, and try to get the relevant sponsors or investors to make that investment. It's certainly not easy, but we need to raise more awareness to protecting ourselves against cyber attacks in general. Now, I know you're very passionate about this topic, so maybe you could say a few words of inspiration to our audience. It's not something that can be done overnight, unfortunately, but this is why we are here. And I guess the word of inspiration that I can, that I can bring today is Take this responsibility for yourselves to all our listeners. I know maybe some of them are already cyber experts or already interested, already passionate, but try to also talk to your friends in in your everyday lives. Or even if you're just, you know, out of curiosity tuning in today and you don't have a lot of experience, you don't have to become an expert to know some of the basic cyber hygiene measures that you can adopt. Be proactive about it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Theodora. This was a great interview. Yes, thank you. Thank you as well. Thanks for joining our conversation today. If you haven't already, subscribe to us in your favorite podcast listening app and get a brand new insightful episode every week. Security Talks Weekly is produced by the Swiss Cyber Institute and hosted by me, Alexandre Maral. The Swiss Cyber Institute is the human-centric cybersecurity education center and digital community in Switzerland. And our guest of today, Theodora Dragan, a data protection officer working for Cyber Peace Institute. If you have any questions regarding what we talked about in our interview, head over to the Swiss Cyber Institute's website and contact us. We read every comment and we might answer your specific question in a later episode. At the website, you'll also find our interview series with security experts as well as some helpful resources. There, we have the Swiss Cyber Academy, which offers the most intensive and up-to-date cybersecurity training courses in the market. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ciao!